This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Always been our mantra. Everyone has been has been invited since the very beginning of the program. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. And also, big thanks to Ramya Muthan joining me at the Toronto studio Hi. for another edition of Kelly and Ramya today on our Friday. All right, all set to ready, get set, go. Yeah, happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday to you. Always nice. Again, we're on the roller coaster of weather in this part of uh, North America. All right, heck, let's be honest. Let's say in this part of the world. Okay, okay, all right. I'll be even more accurate. In our world? Yep. So <laughs> on Earth. Yeah, on Earth, on the and probably associated planets too, or or even one, you know, said moon. Um, but no, been been actually excellent. Uh, we remind you to check out our podcast because there you get the audio vanity card. And I have to say this week, what a variety of vanity cards. So do check them out. Even if you already caught most of the shows, just go skip through using your favorite podcast platform and see what we've got for you. Let's take a look at today's show. Webtoons are kind of an abridged comic book originating in Korea. We learn more with Ryan Huey on that chatty bookshelf. Uh, we're talking to Brock Richardson with our Friday app, Friday app update, Friday sports update, and he's going to give us more updates on the Scotties tournament and parts. And new accessibility features are coming to Android devices, including Lookout, an app that offers AI-generated uh, images. John, of course, uh, John Beeler will be here shortly with more details on that. So since we got apps to talk about in a little while and so much more on the program... This weekend, you're being encouraged to set your phone down, turn off your TV, and close the laptop. It was a day created by a Jewish community back in 2003, but 20 years later, the Global Day of Unplugging has no religious connotations. It's simply a 24-hour period in which you go screen-free. The idea? Turn off the noise and reconnect with friends, family, and your community in person and in the present. Before you start a digital detox, you might want to tell folks so they don't worry when you don't respond right away. When you do begin, maybe take a walk, get out in nature. When you feel like reaching for your phone, remember, quieting the noise will only last a day unless you choose to make it longer. Sherry Preston, ABC News. Is the laptop the easiest thing to detox? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because we're doing everything on our phones. Yeah. When, when you say okay. TV, when you say watching videos, when you say every unplugging, I'm just thinking, oh, gosh, phone-free. Um, do you do this stuff ever um, in your Earth way? Earth have done... International Day of Unplugging, I had no idea about. But yeah, Earth mm -hmm. Hour, Earth Day, I'm not sure exactly what we call it nowadays. But yeah, that I've done. And like pretty nicely with uh, neighbors or family or like groups of us just hanging out together and making a whole time out of it. Yeah. And actually having a conversation mm -hmm. and just catching up or whatever. Um, do you ever think that you do it or have introduced it or will introduce it into your life on your own volition. Um, maybe it's not that hour mid hanging out with people right. just where you say, this weekend is going to be one of those times where I take from nine in the morning Sunday until nine in the morning Monday 
to just not bother or till let, let's let's even be fair just in case before bed you got to check some stuff let's even just say you you do it for the day do, do you think you're going to start putting those in mm. do you do that now well never that formally to say you know i need a 24 hours or 48 hours off the grid or uh, unplugged but actually yes in the sense of you know these hours of the day i'm just not on my phone or in these circumstances, the phone's on silent because I don't want to get notified. Or uh, even more subtle than that, having notifications on your phone, right? Like, we have focus mode and things like that. But in general, I've actually several applications on my phone just don't, I don't get notified from them. Only if you open the app, you get the actual uh, update of what's going on in there because it minimizes how much your phone vibrates, how much your phone is distracting you, that kind of thing. But this formally... Uh, question is an interesting one Kels do you do that I don't know I feel like I put it down but I think I I tend to check the phone the computer I've gotten a lot better at the work separation I've started to get better at I mean I'm okay with doing you know checking Twitter and responding playing around a bit out there I take some time over the weekend to do some work because it helps me through the week and and that with timing and stuff like that and just makes me not feel so rushed or panic mm. but i think that's where i've started do i ever say okay you know what i'm gonna just read put this phone away to go turn the tv off and read or this is a i never even did that with movie days i don't think if i thought oh i want to watch a couple of movies i'm not answering the phone away. I, I think back to when i was a kid and did i ever take the phone not you know off the hook did i ever find that yeah. way and i'm not sure i mean certainly turned the ringer off and tried to watch something. I'm sure I did that. Um, I don't know if I'd do it. And, and again, I'd quantify what I'm doing it during. During a, a sports, I don't know if I would. I'd feel like that's rude. You know, somebody needing to reach out to you. What were you doing? Watching the ball game. But it seems more acceptable <laughs> to what... say, enjoying a movie that, you know, I ordered right. from Rogers and I'm paying for, so buzz off. Well, the thing is, too, now people have 24-hour access to us and we have 24-hour access to them. That's yeah. just how it is, right? Texting. And if it's not a text, it's a post. And if it's not a post, then, you know, if somebody calls you and you ignore it, maybe that's when you really think, like, my gosh, I'm being rude. But really, um, before, I think there were a lot of unspoken rules about, like, hey, if you're going to call someone after... Uh, x hour of the day yes it better be a good reason it better be an emergency and yeah. especially because yeah. it's landline like your entire household is privy to that right yep compared to your now personal people phone. use that excuse well just put on do not disturb and many 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 people do an excuse. you know you might want to spend some time go out in your garden turn your phone on do not disturb speaking of the garden coming up after the break gardener susan kearney features the daffodil and other early blooming uh, early blooming spring plants that benefit our pollinators we'll do that in two minutes don't miss a minute kelly and ramya will be right back Settling in for a couple of hours, folks. I'll tell you what we'll even do for you. Start swinging open the gateway to your weekend with lots of great stuff to talk about on the program. And in no particular order, I might add, since I'm going all over mm. the place today in our order. Anyway, thank you for being with us, especially if you're listening in. Tune in radio, OO Tunes, around the world on AMI Audio, where you can pick us up for the first time at 4 p.m. Eastern time. It's time, folks, as we start the show on Fridays, to get gardening with Susan Kearney. Hello, 
I'm Susan Kearney. Join me on Kelly and Ramya for the joy of gardening by using touch, taste, scent, and sound. Early spring can be a little tricky for gardeners, with some online sarcastically dubbing early March as fool's spring. You fools. Today, we're featuring the daffodil and other early blooming spring plants. Susan, welcome back to the show. Good day. Hello. I, I think late February this year, too, uh, Mother yeah. Nature had a temper tantrum. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And she's still going. As apparently, you guys are all going to get messed up. All sorts of things teased next Monday and Tuesday in this part of the world yeah. when temperatures may go almost to 20 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Of course, yeah. you have all the and weather people saying, I don't think it'll do that because they don't want to be wrong, right? Uh-huh. But I think um, I, I, I do know that, uh, you know, when it comes to early spring and our, our different uh, – the, uh, the daffodils are one of our earliest um, bulbs that uh, come out. And I, I just sort of wonder what, what they're thinking because mm. um, we've had some really warm weather. And I do know that things are coming up in the garden, uh, and and not my daffodils. I don't have any. I don't put any in because the squirrels eat them. Uh, so okay. they dig them. I don't know whether they eat them. <laughs> I think they just dig them up and hide them somewhere yeah, else. And, and, yeah, and they, they, ne- they never grow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what happens. Oh, we don't have nuts right now, so I'm going to use these. But I've got, I I do have some things coming up in the garden, some dill, uh, some chives, which is very interesting. And um, and then when we had the the freezing um, on on Wednesday and and every, the the, uh, temperature dropped so quickly, I went out and covered some of those up. Um, so that they um, they wouldn't get frostbite or any ice on them because they're they're really trying. It's not their fault that spring is and it keeps on wanting to come and winter <laughs> yeah. keeps on pushing back. <laughs> wow, yeah, it, it's kind of a persistent spring with an, uh, a defensive yeah. winter. Um, I mean, Susan, you know, we sit here and think how mixed up things must get. How much to, is this one of the strangest ones that you can ever think of on on in your mind going back? And if you do recall another similar that stands out, share with us, because I'm kind of curious what kind of damage, if you want to call it, what, what kind of disorder was created? Well, this is interesting because only in the last few years have I been paying uh, a whole lot of attention to to the weather and what it does to the garden or what you can plant or what you can't plant when. Um, before that, I just took it naturally, I think, like mm. a lot of people did, that, you know, this this were, were the seasons. This is what you planted th- this time. This is what would come up in the garden at this time and around this time where, you know, we are getting the, the, the bulbs coming up. Uh, the, the daffodils, the the uh, narcissus, which the daffodil is a member of that particular family. So you would get some of those plants coming up in, in March if we didn't have too much of a snow cover. This year we haven't had hardly any snow in this part of the world. And um, so a lot of the plants started to come up early because we had some sunshine, a lot of rain. Uh, so now 
uh, along with um, what I've put into the garden, what did well, what didn't do well. I'm actually um, writing down um, the, the weather, which is really <laughs> interesting. I've never actually done that before, and I find myself doing it, and I find myself asking a lot of questions of, um, you know, what is really um, the, the cause of this? Well, we know some of it, but um, and and how much of an effect it's going to have on our, on you know, and uh, on, on our different seasons because here um, we go season to season. So these mm-hmm. are spring plants, and it will be interesting to see how long um, this uh, Mother Nature um, keeps on uh, wanting to be spring and then going back to winter. It will be interesting this season. Well, yeah, it's you know, a good watch on that. And, it, you know, out of all people, like farmers and gardeners like yourself, know yeah. um, instinctively just because of years and years of working directly with our greenery, right, and with plants and living yeah. things, what that means, the chain effect, the chain reaction. You know, it's not just, oh, cute, you know, we have a, an early spring this year. It's like, okay, how does that affect the rest of the season, the rest of the year, harvest, and then on to next year? And um, the deep freeze is the same question, right? Like when, when yeah. you've had conversations with the real struggles that your garden has had with some of the deep freezes in the last couple of years, you think like, what is the ripple effect and the chain effect this is going to have later on? And Susan, like we do not in general the general public have enough conversations about this to even understand? Well, I think the conversations are going to come, um, you know, come soon because I do know that, um, that I, I would suspect that in many parts um, because we, of um, this part of the world, because we did not have a lot of snow cover, we're probably going to have drought this year. Right. Um, and and uh, even though we're getting rain, it's not enough. Um, we, we needed that snow cover. It, it is extremely important to, um, to curb uh, d- drought. So that is probably something that a lot of farmers, I know that um, as I'm going through what I'm going to be putting into my garden, I am definitely um, looking at more uh, drought-safe um, um, plants. So this year, I will probably do some of the, uh, a lot more of those. So I'm not losing plants, and I will probably um, continue to do that. Continue to re- really let Mother Nature um, uh, tell us what you know, right. what we should be doing to so that we're we're not wasting uh, and so on. But I do think it is a bit of a worry it is. Uh, when you have these. Yeah, these swings of, you know, um, very warm weather and then the, the buds start to come out on the fruit trees and things start coming up out of the ground and, and then we get the deep freezes and, and that can, um, you know, of course that goes all the way down the food chain uh, for um, our pollinators, our animals and, of course, us. Yeah. Yeah, it's a struggle, I think, as you said, because we don't necessarily know how to troubleshoot and then you're kind of tossing things saying uh, this whole crop yeah. was wasted or n- yeah. not able to be used in other ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's hopefully spring will, um, you know, um, come soon. And, of course, we um, the, the pussy willows are, um, hopefully they've got enough um, uh, wetlands uh, this year to, to come up um, because they, they start, and they do feed our early pollinators. And they're a very important wetland um, plant. 
So that yes. comes up at this time of year. So I, I'm I'm hoping there is enough water. I don't I don't know. I haven't um that's another thing I'm going to look into how our water tables are doing because that's also important. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I've thought a lot as up here being caught between two lakes, but in London, Ontario, so close either way to Huron or to um, uh, up there at Port Stanley, Erie. Erie. It, it's crazy because none of the lakes are not freezing. You've got such a small percentage, no. meaning what's that going to do in the summertime when temperatures get hotter and you think of all the things that you, the bacteria you don't want around. But as you mentioned, uh-huh. I think a lot of people will forget those water tables and, and that kind of, we're so used to such good runoff. What else yeah. blooms so early, Suze, that we can see poking up if, you know, let's just say we get a few weeks of the snow even. If we get if we get some snow, if we do get some snow in March, we might. Uh, I, I know a lot of people are predicting it that we're going to get. Um, yeah. You know, there'll they'll be a there'll be a last storm um, in in the offing in in March, maybe even early April. Um, that of course um, there'll be a lot of the bulbs uh, waking up. Um, our our snowdrops have probably already come up and gone. Um, the crocuses are already up. And um, they and I do know um, people that I you know that have uh, a lot of bulbs in their gardens. Um, they are a lot of those bulbs are coming up. They are coming up, so they will have to be covered. If we do get snow, they will have to be covered up um, so that they the, the tips of them don't freeze. And mm-hmm. I don't know what the result of the soil. Um, freezing and um, thawing uh, with the bulbs. I, I know that if you grow them in containers, the bulbs actually rot. So it's it, when you get into that kind of freezing and and thawing that so the bulbs actually actually rot in the containers. So then wow. they don't grow the, the the plants. But let's. I, I don't. I don't know. It's um. It will be interesting. This is an interesting spring. I don't think I've ever. Um, had anything happen like that? Um, tremendous thunderstorms, um, which we we need um, that we we need all that for the ozone. We we need, that. but in February it was pretty peculiar. Yeah, uh, Suze, I know we don't really think about it a lot, but how how important is it for the bee a variety of plants? That to pollinate the different variety of insects and stuff that that need that. I mean, I'm assuming just as much as human beings or any other creatures, every creature may need certain things that are similar and the, but not necessarily the same or from the same resource. Yes, absolutely. And and there are a lot of trees that will soon start um, blooming, um, early um, blooming trees, and um, and and our our pollinators feed on those because they do start to wake up as soon as. As soon as the, the temperature goes above zero, they start to wake up, and they have that, that um, time to come from the, the, the larva um, into um, butterflies or moths or um, bees. So they, they, they need all that, that food. That is what they, they live on um, during, uh, like, our spring um, plantings when they, uh, when they start to bloom. And there are, there are many of them, um, many wild um, flowers that are starting to come up. Of course, in the wetlands, there are um, many other plants that are starting to bloom. And that just feeds our, our, our pollinators, which is very important because then they can, um, once they mature, then they can go from plant to plant to um, pollinate 
So it is very important that they um, that they bloom, that these plants bloom during the uh, during the early spring. And there are many of them, um, the, the different bulbs, and of course uh, several different trees are going to start blooming soon. So it, it is important, and uh, for our 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 lovely pollinators, which I'm, I I love our pollinators. They just they keep everything going, and we need them. We 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 need mm-hmm. them for our fruit and yeah, and our vegetables, all of that stuff. A lot of time we don't even really realize because, as I said a while ago, we don't think about it. I I mean, I have no idea until we start hearing how much um, you know this is in jeopardy. Bees, particularly, let's say, mm-hmm. um, and and we hear that talk. We know that this is an issue. But we don't really realize. You get this weather, we're all excited. Oh, this is great. I'm a little more aware, as you said, Sue's keeping track more as to the potential effects as well. You know, it's instead of just, oh, I haven't been able to go out skating as much or it's screwing up my skiing for the year. Many of us more on our lips is, wow, what does this mean? What's, what's coming ahead that's going to really be a problem? So thanks for talking yeah. about this, Sue. It puts it on our radar and keeps it in our mind. Thank you. Bye. Our gardener, Susan Kearney, we visit with Susan at the beginning of Kelly and Rumya on Fridays as we swing open the gateway to your weekend. Always great to get that gardening conversation in. Up next, folks, John Beeler tells us about Lookout, an AI captioning app that's one of many exciting updates coming soon for those Android users out there. All that information and so much more with John after this. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Keeping you company on your Friday. Kelly and Rumya here, wherever you are listening in uh, around the world on AMI-audio. Appreciate you being there, watching us on AMI-tv. We're here at 2 p.m. Eastern time over on AMI-tv and AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Talking about iPhones and getting the 15. I got my 14 last year. Ah. And boy, you know, one could easily be convinced, you know, maybe you need the 15 more than that 14, but I'm going to tell you something. My head still thinks of, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. I still have a year on my, hold on, what plan? Oh, are yeah. You, are you still doing contracts and such? No, I bought it outright, but yeah. I forgot. Oh, oh, okay. So you, you kind of throw back to when you were doing that. Yes. You know, yeah, the habit right. of, you know, this is what I've always done. I mm-hmm. still have another year. That's fair. Um, it, so now it comes down to logic and does it work? Is the, you know, the buyback decent enough or whatever for me to consider doing something yeah. like that? You know, and then of course I have to put up within my head. I hear my mom and dad saying, do you really need our, oh, must be nice to have the money and the means to do that. You just got your phone. Right. Exactly. <laughs> what the heck? That's a waste. Why? You just got to try to get a learn at first before you get rid of it. Uh, it's Kelly and Rumya here on your Friday. And of course, we're going to continue talking tech because it's Friday and time for our app update with John Beeler. Hi, I'm John Beeler, technology expert from Vancouver. Join me on Kelly and Rumya where I share the latest app, mobile and tech news. Everything from accessibility and product launches to privacy and security. We'll cover the gamut. John, these uh, smart ring conversations are coming up more and more. We're talking about Samsung Galaxy Ring. 
now because it's a pretty big swing at the smart ring market. How's it looking? Yeah, well, um, this this past week, it's been Mobile World Congress in Spain, and a lot of things are starting to trickle out about the ring. And um, not a comprehensive list of features yet, but we do know that the ring will uh, track things like sleep, your activity, your resting heart rate, heart rate variability, and even period and fertility tracking. Um, but what we don't know definitively yet is exactly how much battery life this is gonna this ring's gonna have. This ring is gonna be a little bit bigger than you know a normal ring that the average person would wear. Um, but the 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 scuttlebutt is that it'll last about five to nine days without having to charge. So it's already way better than the watch. Charge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. So. Um, but apparently they're going to have a whole bunch of different sizes for it because this is very important. You need to have the right size mm. ring yeah. for your finger to make so the right contact. Operating. Yeah, exactly. Because those sensors are going to be basically the inside of it is nothing but sensors that actually touches your skin. So um, they're going to offer uh, sizes five through thirteen, and um, it's a little unclear how people are going to be able to order this remotely without knowing exactly what their size is and how well this translates to actual like wedding ring size, that those types of things. I think it would. So other companies have a sizing kit that they offer, um, and it's unclear if Samsung's going to do the same. Um, what finger do you see it go on? Like, I mean, if people have their other rings, do oh we yeah, know do anything they have a recommendation? about? Yeah, or what they prefer you to do? I haven't heard yet, but that's a great question. Yeah, yeah. I wonder because of the sensors and and the different things that they're measuring. Obviously, um, mm-hmm. any any competitors and perspectives that way. Um, no, the only, well, the main one, the main competitor out there is, uh, um, Aura and they have basically said this basically validates their business model that the Samsung is going all in on this space. So it'll be interesting to see how different the two products are. And if there's even a compelling reason to choose one over the, over the other, it might come down to whether it's, you know, iOS versus Android, those types of things. Um, and it's also unclear whether the galaxy ring will work with iOS at this point. Yes, of course. That was going to be a follow-up question. Um, Aura, like I've heard Aura in context a lot more with um, fertility measurements and things like that and keeping track of your cycles. So I'm not sure. Can you expand if you know any more about Aura and does it do a lot more for the fitness world? I imagine... I mean, there's a limited amount of space for these sensors. So I I, I would imagine be very similar. Right. I think where the special sauce comes into play is what does it do with that data that it's gathering from your finger? Fair, yeah. And, and how these apps work. Samsung already has a fairly established health app that is going to be fed with information from this. So uh, it seems safe to assume it'll be a fairly comprehensive set of uh, health information and fitness information, um, but it's still just a little too early. Um, the The rumor is, is that it's going to come out later this year. That's all Samsung is saying. But what people heard at the show was probably July. Okay. Yeah. You, you, there must be a limit, right? Obviously, like you said, there's a limit to how many sensors. Do you, do you think it'll be the kind of thing as time goes on. And I can't give you an example of what I think if we talk a health, uh, okay, or a health ring, you know, featuring those things, I can obviously think heart, blood, like all these things like that, that we now automatically think about. Do you think they'll be coming out with ones more specific, just fitness or just, you know, other things people may want a ring on, uh, utilize a ring for? And I, I don't know other than fitness, could I come up with something that may have enough difference to merit another ring? 
type of way? I can think of two scenarios for that, Kelly. Uh, One, what if you could put Apple Pay or Google Pay on it? Mm -hmm. Right. So you just yeah. tap your finger. Um, and also, what if you can actually clone, say, your house access card or your office mm. access card? Bob's, so yeah. You can have easy access to wherever you need some kind of um, secure uh, entry point. Um, so those kinds of things are very easy for them to add RFID or NFC technology yeah. to these mm. if they don't already have it. Uh, I suspect that the Go Galaxy one probably will. And that's probably how you're going to pair it with your phone is just by right. putting it near your phone and your phone will read that it's there. It's wicked. It almost feels like it's going to replace the fingerprint. It could, <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, even your yeah, smartphone in some cases. Oh, yes, gosh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep, like we but talked especially about... the ID kind of thing, you know, your yeah, your phone, but um, biometrics and such. It's so interesting. Yeah, very, to think about. very interesting. I just Pastor, like that I it's so subtle. About... You know, the ring well, subtle, compared to the watch. Subtle depending on how small and I, we know in time they'll there'll be a device where you pay the right amount of money, you get everything that you could want in time as things get smaller. Tumblr's owners is uh, striking deals with OpenAI and MidJourney for training data, says a report, John. Yeah, this is something I wanted to highlight um, because we've we've heard a lot about where do these companies get their training data for training AI. And right. a lot of companies now are basically monetizing their huge repertoire of content that you and I have contributed to over the years. Tumblr is the latest candidate that has struck a big deal uh, to basically uh, allow different companies to come in and just hoover up anything that's there. The thing is that's really interesting about the Tumblr thing is that um, they're saying that you're going to have the ability to opt out if you don't want your content uh, captured in these training models. But the thing is, they apparently have an, they did an initial data dump um, of all the public posts between 2014 and 2023, includingly, apparently by mistake, content that wouldn't be publicly visible on your blog. So if you have a private post or messages or photos, those types of things, those all got hoovered up too. So once wow. again, privacy does not exist on the internet. Wow. Wow, Ever. how dangerous. What, what has been the response with that? Um, and our people are saying, because I mean, we know some people just, oh, well, I guess that's going to happen just as much as sometime my bank information or my card's going to get stolen or compromised and yada, yada, yada. Um, th this is becoming to where we live with it and, and try to start working on the ways to, oh, well, well, I guess I can always change this or do this. H has there been any response to all of this? Because I really haven't heard that. There has been. As you would imagine, huge user backlash. Um, I think so. I hope so. Yeah, Reddit just signed a deal uh, with Google for $60 million annually to hoover up all the Reddit posts and train the language models that way. Obviously, a lot of Reddit folks are upset and very polarizing about this. Yeah. Uh, and there's talk that, you know, like the thing is, these companies are providing a service that we're all using for free in most cases. And this is one way for them to monetize it. And the thing is, it's being monetized on the backs of the people providing the content who don't get anything other than use of the service in return. So whether we're going to start to see some like dividends for, you know, heavy users of some of these platforms are being used to train these models, um, or if there's going to be just class action lawsuits against these companies that are monetizing user content, it's still too early to say.
Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is, definitely. And these are kind of things that will come up more and more, I think, as we start to um, uh, hone in on who's going to use, you know, open AI and other similar software and for what purpose and monopolize, I guess. Yeah. John, uh, new Android features are here for a variety of devices, and it's a variety of features as well. Mm. Yeah, there's some really interesting things that Google is slowly folding into sort of the background of a lot of sort of common things. One thing uh, that was kind of interesting that <clears throat> stood out that I, 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 it's unclear whether it's just for Android Auto. So when you're in your car and you're using navigation, it has the ability to summarize long chat messages or busy chat groups for you. So you get a summary of it thanks to AI. I kind of want that for not when I'm driving too, though, because some it's of my right. friends are pretty prolific. <laughs> for certain um, texts that come to you. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So, but one of the things that I thought was really interesting is um, there's a Lookout app now offers AI captions for images and video that has been captured in your messages. So you'll actually get um, compatible spoken descriptions of any messages you get in your, any photos you get in your messages. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because nowadays... We've kind of bridged the gap because of obviously extremely amazing technology like the Be My AI, where um, you can take whatever people are sending you, plug it into Be My AI, which is part of the Be My Eyes app, and then get the description. So I really do feel like I've been pretty on top of it with whatever people are sending me and, and not feeling like, hey, what, what was that? Keep me posted. Um, but this is just going to do it for you. Yeah. And it's going to be automatic. Um Again, you know, I think Google's got a pretty good track record as far as that aspect of things going and image identification and those types of things that I rely on almost daily now when I'm looking through Google Photos or even my iPhone photos. Mm. I don't need to go, I don't need to be very specific anymore. I don't have to scroll through 600 pages of (laughs) photos. I can just say, show me my cat and it'll show me all the cat photos. Um, that kind of specificity is is just fantastic to have because the AI is just learning from your photos, which as a callback to the earlier article, how much of that data is leaking into the right. other language models? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're able, like you said, if we had that guarantee, that comfort, oh, my cat's photos aren't all being there, or how many times I'm saying, show me my photos of my cat, whatever, and someone's charting that saying, oh, well, people and their cats, well, we should send this guy some publicity for cat food or whatever. Um, you know, it's wonderful. It's just that question and then, John, I guess in, in, in certain ways, there'll always be some way to, to capture this stuff without us necessarily knowing it goes back to, I guess we just have to accept it's there. And you can't just accept that's happening. No, you can't. And and we've seen so many examples of things that people thought were private are no longer private. Oh, um, yeah. Because a lot of these tools, they're not using the front end. They don't really necessarily adhere to all the locks and um protections that are out there, they're looking at the database in the back end and they're getting a, a scrape of that data directly from the provider. So, um, but anyways, that's, uh, that's the previous topic. This, you know, this, this stuff in uh, Android is really kind of exciting yeah. because there's so many new things that they're doing just to make your life a lot easier. Um, one other thing that they have is that they now support handwritten markups. So say you're looking at a Google doc or something like that, and you want to make some changes and you just have your phone or a tablet, you can just draw on the screen and nice. it'll what you're, what you're trying to do and add that as an annotation. 
Excellent. I love that um, because it gives that ease of what we used to know, how it used to be easy and efficient to make these kind of markups for those of us who are doing it, like the paper where you, and then um, and making it all integrated into this. So cool. There's just a lot going on. And I think that a lot of this stuff, as you kind of mentioned, alluded to, John, has been going on in the background anyway. But now it's like, you know, here's on the table what we're actually doing to make things more accessible to people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Nice to see the resources there and and the value being put on it. Like a look at descriptions of stuff. Just phenomenal for us. Yeah. Thanks, John. And even just the same kind of thing being utilized or framed differently for different scenarios so that people can mm -hmm. understand, hey, this is the same kind of uh, caption or machine learning, but used in this way. Awesome. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. John Beeler joining us. He's uh, here for our app update, and that's every Friday on the show. Kind of like the backwards thinking that we always used to say, look how many things are out there for accessibility that everyone uses. And sure. now it's the yeah. other way around. Yeah. Everyone uses this. And by the way, this is good for accessibility too. Coming up next, Grant Hardy returns with the Friday edition of The Buzz. We'll talk to him in a moment. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. We're working our way through our Friday edition. Ramya is on main campus in the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald at the home studio in London, Ontario. Rum, it's that time. We call this segment The Buzz. We get a chance to find out uh, about some interesting trending headlines from across the country. We welcome in today the captain of our trending uh, headlines, Destiny, Mr. Grant Hardy <laughs> out in Vancouver. Hello, Grant. Where's wow, the theme song? I don't know if I can live up to that title right you like that captain <laughs> trending our, uh, headlines we definitely yeah, need a soundtrack to. for that mm -hmm. i'll have to listen back trending. to that one and that was good trending. Trending. he worked on that one exactly grant uh, you hey, pick thanks. what kind of music because what i don't know what exactly does it have to be 80s sounding music grant or something like blondie kind of or Star Wars was it blondie no not blondie Ooh. what was the group when we found out during the quiz was it blondie it was blondie wasn't it no i think we had so ABBA, have, um, isn't it? ABBA. No, you're right. ABBA. Your favorite? Oh, my favorite group. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's oh, right. I ABBA. Did. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> what a I side note. <laughs> yeah. So we need the music to sort of sound like that, right, Grant? Something sure. from ABBA. What? That that Why would not? be for you know the captain of the headlines, Destiny. <laughs> Where are we starting, I like sir? It. I like it. Um, I'm trying to think how that would fit with the dramatic title though an introduction mm -mm. but uh, that's what um, I'm well, they, they, they give you that sing they'd sing for you man sure you would well, you, Romy, you don't even know who abba is i really was going for a star wars theme something very superhero-y maybe oh no, no but... grant's not that typical and boring okay oh my gosh are we ever oh, gonna get already. to wendy's okay yeah all right guys well, why don't, yeah why don't you tell the article since i said grant what are we talking about <sighs> yeah grant we, Hardy. we do as Romeo mentioned Wendy's. We have another um, food article today. There, Wendy's. I chose this, I guess, a little more because of what it signifies than because of it being Wendy's. But uh, apparently, uh, they are planning to spend approximately thirty million to quote support a rollout of digital 
menu boards to all mm. U.S. company-operated restaurants by the end of 2025, and then they're going to look at expanding this globally. What does this mean? Apparently, um, it is going to be using AI to dynamically adjust their menu options. So this isn't actually so outrageous in a sense. Uh, one company that adjusts their offerings is Uber. So if it's really yes. um, if it's really busy, they'll crank up the surge pricing. So Wendy's apparently is actually looking at not only dynamically changing their menu, but also pricing based on things like driving sales during slower parts of the day, and even based on factors such as weather. Uh, it's part of a new trend to actually bring AI-enabled menu changes and suggested selling to restaurants. Uh, and apparently they say it will provide better value to crew members and restaurants. Uh, I'll just, just kind of give you my thoughts. Although I don't think that they will use it this way, I have always thought that as a picky eater, as someone with some eating issues, goes a little beyond pick pickiness, I kind of get the short end of the stick because mm -hmm. I go into a restaurant, whatever, I order a burger, but there's so much of the toppings that I'm like, please take this off and please take this off and please take this off. <laughs> and I end up paying a lot more money for literally just like, you know, like my protein and my bun. Kind right. Of so if there was some sort of AI that would customize the menu for my specific needs, that'd be great. I don't think that's going to happen. Where I see the challenges uh, mainly relates to accessibility and communication. So the mm -hmm. accessibility for people like us or other people with disabilities, or, you know, people with neurodiversity who value consistency, right. and consistent pricing options, I can see that being incredibly difficult. Also for people like us, where we don't just kind of like point to like number 10, please, we have to be very specific about we, what we want. I think that we're entering an era where accessibility is going to have to be rethought. Can we just go to the website, pull up the menu like we always did before? I'm not sure. This could be an interesting new trend. Thoughts from you guys? Yeah. Yeah, lots of thoughts. Uh, transparency is uh, going to be a huge hurdle, I think. I, I don't know if it's how problematic it's going to be, but, you know, all of this is just the initial understanding the initial like hey this is what we're going to try to roll out and here are our reasons why but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get transparent information throughout okay you mentioned uber and i mentioned this on the morning show earlier this week as well where yes we know and we're aware that surge on uber is a thing do we understand it not really right like i just know that i open my app it's a this price they say it's in surge right now i close it and i try again in 10 minutes i don't no idea what the factors are that are making it surge um how long i have to wait before the the prices dip down or get worse uh and or if i have no choice right like i'm gonna have to end up taking an uber anyways i'm just gonna end up paying triple the price i guess uh, you know something says this is a qualified transaction sure leave it up to uber yeah. and i wonder if you know this definitely does sound like the start of a bigger thing, Grant. And I wonder if, um, you know, if everybody can kind of just get away with calling it surge, calling it AI, and calling it the most efficient way to do something, or better for the restaurant and the crew, as you kind of quoted from the article. But what does it mean for the people buying, right? Like, does yeah. it 
does, it, I think it's going to make a huge difference, and maybe not in a couple cents a day, a couple cents a week, but if this was a regular thing at more than one fast food chain, I think it's going to definitely start affecting us. You just said weather at one point, but I don't even know what that weather, means. Yeah. Like, Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I suppose, you know, perhaps if it's a little bit of a cooler, does Wendy sell ice cream? I should know this. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit Frosties. of a cooler day. Okay. You know, they've got a little too many frosties they can't sell them they could slow down the price yeah transparency is a really excellent point and when you look at all the algorithms that control these apps even like uber i always find it baffling um for example you know just going through a time when i took a, a lot of ubers and i used to get really insane promos for you know like half off or something mm -hmm. and my partner maybe who never used it so they would should have more incentive to give her promos uh, would often not get anything, and and absolutely the surge pricing. Where does it go? Do they do they give it to the the drivers at least, or is it just extra profit? What is the point? What, yeah. what exactly goes into it? Yeah, there's a little bit of opaqueness because there has to be. You literally have to be the programmer to understand these kinds of algorithms, and I think that is a really good point. Uh -huh. It's going to make openness a lot more of a challenge. Well, especially mm. because now we just kind of throw to AI and say AI did it. Like AI is the smartest thing around. So if it says so, um, which all of us are getting on board with, but some of us are not necessarily benefiting. It's a good point. Um, I, was gonna take I think away. you got a, an issue here too. Is you don't know, but you do know. I mean, there's only so much mm -hmm. they're going to do. Well, I think Grant, your key thing is the accessibility. We know that places run happy hours and stuff like that. So where I I find the opaqueness, where I'm not sure, is when you say surging. I think of quote the normal price unquote, and when you surge, I think of a price going up. But will we actually have a normal price? I, exactly. Or will it vary yeah. all the time? Whether will it be the fact that, oh, okay, well, we better keep this deal going for a while. They're only interested in the people who love their Wendy's food. That's who they're that's why your your partner wouldn't receive. Um, you know, if unless a person uses it, but Grant, he likes to use it. So let's offer him the deals to get his butt back in here because he's already comfortable, addicted to using us. We're a first choice. And I think that that's what you're going to get. I am concerned on that. How will I know how long this runs? Am I going to have to get stuff sent to my phone? Or am I going to be able to walk into a Wendy's and instantly have that board up on my phone like we do when you open your uh, AirPods, up comes how much your battery life is. Is that the kind of thing? But the only way to get that information in there, they, we have to, as a disability community, reach out and tell them, hey, man, don't forget us. What? Yeah. What? Oh, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What, a, what, um, a great, what a great point, too, just looking at happy hour. Hey, stuff is usually half off. Are we moving to an, or whatever it is, 25% off, whatever. Are we moving to an era where it's sort of like, okay, now just at some random time of the day, these are the prices. For some reason, like Kelly, you seem to be getting a slightly different price than than Ramia or Grant is getting. Yeah, location I don't know. It's, to it's location, busyness of the store. <laughs> I think brutal. that's what it's trying to cut out. So it's not just head office sending down, hey, by the way, on Fridays at all stores, we're going to do this. They feel they can judge it by the fact that you're three locations in your in your town. One of them is the busiest. We don't have to offer that. And it's or, or not until this time of the day or at this one, it's garbage. Nobody's coming out here because all the business people have gone. So we have to offer something here in our location way in the East End. 
uh, at seven o'clock at night. So I, I, I think that the stuff that's going to be weighed in, but I'm like you guys, most concerned about the inaccessibility. Uh, next, sir. Um, yeah, so this is kind of an interesting one. Uh, as we know, we talked about it lots on the show. There is a um, severe shortage of family doctors. I don't have to tell any of you that. Um, but there's an interesting thing that people are asking for. Apparently, research is showing that there needs to be better access to patients' own electronic records, uh, faster licensing for foreign trained physicians, uh, and more transparent and quicker ability to see your own medical records, as I mentioned. And those mm -hmm. are really key things, according to St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, which surveyed more than 9,000 people online uh, and in person. Uh, this is Again, really interesting. I to like me how Grant added that. He sounded like the Wendy's commercial. And by the way, serving one million <laughs> customers, they said, uh, "Go ahead." You sorry. gotta, you gotta add those disclaimers. <laughs> you know, um, we should, we should talk online in person. Oh, I can't even talk that fast. Um, yeah, I, I find this very interesting because we're um, we're really moving into a new era of transparency. That you, you used mm -hmm. to go to your doctor, they'd say, "All right." This is what you got to do. This is the med you're taking. This is what you have to do every day. But now I feel like people are more demanding. I would like to know exactly like what is going on. How did you come to that conclusion? Can I see the record? Like, can I see the EKG, whatever? Yep. Can I get a second opinion? And that's great, right, guys? That's it makes it digestible valuable. for us, doesn't it? Like it, it becomes something you can see in front of you to understand because especially when you're getting all this stuff from a doctor who's fitting you into that 10 minute visit and it's going over your head until you go and oh, okay hold on or even when you can sit there yourself when the doctor walks in and be able to be in your portal looking at your stuff and sit down and the doctor can say as you notice there your sugars are this or or your heart's been doing that or what i think that's what we ideally hope or if they tell you something, you can go home and, and read it or show the family member that works in nursing and says, well, this is what he's trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. It's like, you're the expert, like, give me your conclusion, absolutely, and tell me what needs to be done. But I want to have access to that raw data, whether I want to transfer it or go go to a walk-in clinic, whether I want to talk to the the doctor i know heaven forbid run it through you know ai or something like that be my ai to get a description of what the eeg looks like whatever um but just kind of for, although i think with lay people there could be a slight confusion of like mm, i'm seeing this in my data and google is telling me it doesn't look normal and what do i do oh, yeah. i think that's a key reason why they maybe don't want you do to you worry, do that do, but, do you worry about the accessibility throwing us off maybe you know how we get enough screens and aren't full or loaded right and whatever i i would worry that we might misunderstood stand something because it's not necessarily um, screen reader friendly, let's say. Well, I think well, that absolutely. can happen anyways. Is with medical information, you're already potentially in such a terrified headspace. Like you said, Grant, we're just Googling everything we can <laughs> and then and going with the thing that we think is most likely the problem, which is the worst There's thing no out there. There's no heart here. Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah, but no you know heart. what? What just, do I do here? <laughs> just to move things along, though, you definitely need it. You need to have access to all this stuff ASAP. Agreed. Yes. Thanks, all Grant. Right. We'll I'm talk go next Google week. Some symptoms. All right. Okay. Oh yeah, go find yourself. Go parent. Get yourself all paranoid. <laughs> Grant Hardy joining us. He's been covering off the buzz right here on the program. We'll talk to him in a little while uh, when we do cut for time, folks. We'll do that a little later on in hour two. Also, Ryan Huey tells us about 
Webtoons, a type of abridged comic book from Korea. We're going to hear about that on the Chatty Bookshelf. Up next, however, we get the results of the Scotty Tournament of Arts. Brock Richardson here with sports after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Lots of laughs, ladies and gentlemen. I guarantee it. Sometimes, right here live on the show, those big round faces start smiling and a giggling, and we hope at home you're doing the same. Welcome back to Kelly and Rummy. It's the second hour of the program. Remember, repeats of the program. If you, if you by chance, can't catch our airing, our first one on AMI-TV at 2 p.m. Eastern, AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern, you've got 10 p.m. Eastern time on both networks, AMI-audio and AMI-TV, where we repeat the program. No matter when you listen, we appreciate your time. Always very valuable to us. So uh, let's bring him on now. It's time as we do and we work our way through our Friday edition, getting you ready for the weekend to talk a little sports with Brock Richardson. I'm Brock Richardson, and I love sports. As a former pro athlete, I bring you the sports angle beyond the headlines, plus parasport news and analysis. Always at this point in the program, we ask Brock, what is your leadoff item for today? What's the big surprise? So I thought that I would have a little bit of fun with you guys in the audience today. I saw something earlier this week that made me chuckle, and I thought we would bring it to you guys here. So basically, the story goes like this. There's a guy who has been a Toronto Maple Leaf season ticket holder for over 60 years. He's been a uh faithful goer oh god did you hear that did you hear that those words that were said in rummy's head faithful? her question was what? why oh <laughs> <laughs> i'm well, sorry what's going on uh-huh this takes this takes a real turn because he's been a faithful uh, season ticket holder recently he's decided that he doesn't want to go to the games anymore why you ask because He's annoyed and frustrated with the team and the fact that they have not won a Stanley Cup in 50-plus years. So what he does is if he doesn't sell the tickets to charities or kids in need or, or families, he will go to the games in the opposite jersey and sit in the seat and openly cheer for the other team. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I love it. So, there, okay. so here's the question I have for the two of you. Have you ever despised something so much, whether in sports or otherwise, where you would think about doing something such as this? Whichever of you would like to go mm. first on this one, go ahead. But Mo she's more of a story. hater. She's I've more of a hater. Go first. I've not done anything extreme like this. Uh, no, no. But the thing is, with this one, I'd like to get Fern Lullaman on this conversation because I think he's just so mad. He's so upset. He doesn't know what to do. He still loves <laughs> our team, his team, but he's, you know, 50 years later, right? And now he's um, gone rogue, apparently. I don't think I've ever, Brock. I, I know I used to be a jerk. Uh, years ago, London had a double-A baseball team, 
and all the visiting teams had broadcast crews. And I remember going down to the stadium and I'd climb up the seats and I'd sit in front of the press box in front of the window of the broadcasters for the visiting team and boo the heck out of their team and scream at their players and stuff like that because I knew my big loud tones were going back to their, their towns and people were sitting there saying, shut up, idiot. And I loved it. So about that's probably the closest thing that I've done like that. I'd be too worried so, someone would take off a shoe and throw it at me like Terry O'Reilly me or something like that. So here's the thing that made me giggle. Not only does this guy go to the efforts of like, you know, openly cheering for the other team. Purchasing but the jerseys. When you, wow. When you pay for it, right? How much like, are jerseys, Brock? How much are jerseys, Brock? Is that what Brock, you were going like to say? When you pay for the jersey, right? Because that's the first what? thing I thought of. Like, my oh, goodness, yeah. you're putting no down way. some that, money. I was going to say, <laughs> man, because what are they, Brock? Like, I mean, you're generally, at, like, uh, you're looking at like a hundred and, you know, if you get the authenticated jersey, mm -hmm. you're looking at probably 150 to $200. That's a wild. Now, if you, if you, if you get it, if you get it non-authenticated, you could, you could easily get it for half that. Like but at Value about, like, Village. Like you, you pay, you, they play 41 <laughs> home games a year. So you're getting yeah. 41 if, if each game was a different team. Now, yeah. of course, some teams will visit more than once, but you're getting 41, you know, jerseys. And then you repurpose them season to season. You know, like, uh, you like, know, I, you know that's uh, on top I'm, of getting the season pass, like continuing like to do that. But yeah. then I, then I also think to myself, you, you're going to go this far into hating, you know, the team because they haven't done something in 50 odd years, but you're sitting in Maple Leaf sports and entertainment yeah. seat. And you're giving them the money anyway. That's what I mean. Uh, he still loves them. <laughs> yeah, like the underlying message but here what about is the he fans still loves around them. you that like it because you're likely in the you know the the Leafs some kind of fan area. Yeah. So I'm sure. But again, they get used to you. No, it's his seats. He's been there for a thousand years. So I guess it really doesn't matter. Yeah, they know like, what he's you gotta, doing. You got to figure this guy's like in his eighties probably because he's you know he's had it for sixty years. I mean, even if. <laughs> He's had them He's since so he was mad. 20. He's so upset. I mean, there you go. Like, it's just, it's wild to me. I could well, It's never... probably just like oh, really wow. got him so fed up. 60 years of this abuse. The poor devil. Right? Oh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, Want to talk about Scotty's Tournament of Hearts now? Now that we spent like more than half the segment talking about this thing. <laughs> That's fine. I totally expected that we would do the same. Uh-huh. Uh, okay, so... Rachel Holman and Team Ontario wins the event. Without a doubt, they were the best team in Canada. They continue to be the best team in Canada. They've only had five losses this year. Uh, all told, between all the events, they ran the table at the Scottish Tournament of Hearts. Uh, they beat Jennifer Jones three times in this exact tournament. That's tough to do. I am very much looking forward to what they do uh, moving forward into the World Championships Uh later on this month, now that we're in March. Okay, man. Uh, the CEO of Curling Canada, Nolan Thyssen, had some interesting things to say in the midst of the, of the Scotties. What was going that all about? So let me remind you that I told you guys last week that the World Curling Federation came out and said, we're not dealing with this. This is a Curling Canada issue. It's a Curling Canada event. We're not dealing with this till the World Championship. Bye. See you later. We're going to walk over here and talk about something else. Then Nolan Thiessen, the new CEO, comes forth during the final of this, this event, the Scottish Tournament of Hearts, and says, we were just following a uh, instructions given to us uh, that she was ineligible. This leads me to think, okay, 
who's left. The World Curling Federation walked over there and said, we're not touching this with a 10-foot pole. Curling Canada came out and said she was deemed ineligible, but now the CEO is saying we followed a decision. I don't know how many governing bodies are left to determine this <laughs> if it's a Curling Canada event. Like, I'm left with more questions than answers at this point. I, I really wow. have no idea what's going on, really. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, men's... What do you... Sorry, bro. Yeah. Oh, no, I was going to switch gears, but go on. I just, as a fan, Brock, who watches this, and you're lost thinking this, like, it just seems amateur. Amateur or scapegoating, kind of like the Blue Jays did last year, you know, with, with Schneider saying uh, it's the office that made a decision at the, the their last game. Oh, and the office coming out. So, well, n no, that would have been a managerial position. Decision. Yeah, like, n like nobody's on the same page. And, that, like, if you're not going to be transparent about something, then stick to the same messaging. Mm. But... Don't one organization say this is a curling Canada issue? We're just going to leave and let them decide. And if they if they get to the World Championships, we'll deal with it then. And then curling Canada looks ridiculous with this new CEO who says, "Yeah, we were just following a decision." Well, the the, the avid fan like me and others out there would sit there and say, "Well, who's left? Like, who's to blame here?" I mean, even even the most you know notable reporters that know curling are like okay, you left us with nothing. So I, I don't understand uh, what's going on here. And, and to lead into Ramya's question about the men, I just I think this is a storyline that's going to carry over if, if there's some news to be shared because the curling family is one that is together. When you watch the Scotties, you watch the Briar, you watch the World Championships, people are going to want to know and people are going to want to give the information out. It's just a question of whether or not it's accurate or not and i hope that it's accurate but i'm left with more and more questions for sure mm -hmm. well tell us about the men's uh national championships because it's coming this weekend who should we highlight uh team canada is uh brad gushu he's going for his sixth title which would be a record for the uh briar and he's just the team that you really have to look out for and watch and uh just expect them to be in the final i would also add um alberta's brendan botcher and uh brad jacobs is going to be another team that you would have to think who's now moved to uh, new brunswick formerly northern ontario so those are the three teams that i would highlight that i would say are going to be there uh come the final weekend and it gets going tonight at uh, 7 p.m eastern time with draw one so it's going to be a great event and one that you're going to see some real high-level curling. Top seven teams are, are in this event that are in Canada. So there could be, you know, uh, that number of teams that could really vow for one spot in the championships. And I've made mention of this before in saying the national championship for Canada in curling is the strongest championship out there because the teams are just very very strong at this moment in time so okay so real briefly you're not here next week uh who would we want us to highlight when watching for the nhl trade deadline which is one week from today who should we keep an eye on yes uh next week is the trade deadline and i think you should keep an eye on calgary flames defenseman noah hannafin calgary seems to be on this mode of selling off and so he's going to be a guy that they're going to look to trade and get pieces for and i think Calgary is one of those teams that's afraid to let pieces walk away for nothing. I wish more managers were like this, and Noah Hannafin will 
command quite a bit of a return uh, moving forward. So it's going to be a fascinating uh, trade deadline. It gets going at like 8 a.m. Uh, next week, Friday, until like 6 p.m. It's quite the marathon that the networks put and on. Whether you why. like it, good, bad, or indifferent. And that's why he's not with us, because he'll be too busy watching it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Appreciate it, Brock. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Uh, Josh, I believe, is in here next week for you. He is indeed. He'll have you all abreast of what's been going on on the trade deadline, and I'm putting him on the spot because he's probably watching right now going, oh, that's what I'm <laughs> going to talk about? Great. Really? Feed him is his lines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Brock Richardson joins us every Friday at the top of our second hour to talk sports and give us some, uh, some of the headlines and some of the updates out there. Up next on the program, Ryan Huey tells us about Webtoons, which is a type of abridged comic book from Korea. We'll get into that on the Chatty Bookshelf in about two minutes. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. chuckling here thinking of um you know when we first ever started doing tv at ami and i remember we went out to shoot an interview me and my videographer at the time and i didn't wear the fedora this one time okay and boy did we have trouble okay put put some put some of this powder <laughs> on your head what what we're just gonna oh, try to cut down no. that shine a bit here, no put, put a little more on How there much put, powder put, but, you, but, but hold on, more? But yeah, well, put put a little more. Like how much more? Where we get to where it's too much? Yeah, well, well, we'll we'll know when the glare's gone. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can just remember. pick a different location. Oh. Yeah, we did. Where we were inside. <laughs> <laughs> in a boardroom. I think it was the AMI boardroom and we were trying things out. <laughs> and I get, you know, it was easier to just start wearing fedoras all the time. <laughs> Kelly McDowell and Ramya Muthan. There's always a reason, right? Like, why did he start always. wearing fedoras? Style? Uh, well, the stories will no. change, too. Like, you know, while well, I blinded too many people with the glare, uh, was inside shooting, difficulty with the cameras, the poor Iris on Broken the camera. telephone is unreal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh, that's hilarious. All right. Let's talk audiobooks now, um, and then Kelly can tell us more about his history of fedoras. Audiobooks with Ryan Huey. Who knew an entire library could fit inside your pocket? I'm Ryan Huey. This is the Chatty Bookshelf, where we talk audiobook trends, news, and author interviews. Ryan, how goes it? Happy Friday. Happy Friday, guys. Happy March. I'm more interested in fedora. Never mind. How I know. <laughs> I still can't get over that it was indoors. Oh, my. Ryan, you know, one thing I try not to do is stand too close to a light in the hallway so I don't get lightheaded. Anyway, pal. that might be the best introduction I've had of the, of the, the years I've been here. I had nothing to do with you. Too yeah. funny. Okay. Uh, you found an interesting story that you want to tell us about. Any yeah. anything before that, though? Any uh, what do you call it? Trends or sales or anything going on in the audiobook world in general right sure. now? Sure. You know what? We can. We you can. You must yeah, help we'll this swim. girl out. She doesn't have to do anything. She just. Oh, oh, by the way, Ryan, uh, yeah. what should I be picking up today? Right. There's hey, a we sale. Quickly send about this. I want to touch to base. Uh, us on Wednesday was National Fairy Tale Day. Which oh, is actually cute. really cool. Oh. So it was actually cool, but here it gets even better. Our friends at Sela 
were highlighting books and they 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 pick and choose which days they want to highlight some books and they chose this one but i really like the reasoning for it um as we all know sila we all use the service uh, most of the audience out there mm. however what they did was they highlighted a book called disfigured by amanda yes. leduc and what this mm. does is it highlights the tropes the perfection of fairy tales and the ableism that's in mm -hmm. fairy tales um, the examples and some of the synopsis that they go through is, you know, the ogre never gets the girl. It's always the the really good looking prince. prince and yep. it's like happy endings always happen if you're cute, if you're perfect and if you're pretty. But there can be a different happy ending. Let's involve yep. some of the disability aspects and some of the other things into um, these fairy tales. So I thought it was a really cool book and I've put it on my to read. It came out what, Rye, about six Sheila. years ago? I think yeah, it came out six, five, six, six years ago. Yeah. I remember that. It was about yeah. five years ago. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. We talked about it here on the program. Yes, yep. yes. Yep. Because of that. And wow, what, what a wonderful message. That book, like especially as a child, I think back to all the stories and the characteristics that I remember about different fairy tale, fairy tale characters. And a lot of time they were deceiving or not so flattering. And yes. we know, yeah. we know the impact that, you know, uh, fairy tales, especially the Grimm's brothers, that these kind of stories, the effect that this has had, had historically over the years with every other kind it's... of uh, pop culture you know, yeah. that would, as we know it, right? Disney is just an example, a huge example, nonetheless. Um, but yeah, it's it's impacted everything from. And Disney's had and to make you know what changes I love too, swing. due to its checkered past that way, yeah. right? It's yeah. taken a long things. time, and we're not there yet. But I love the fact that we're looking for people with lived experience for those stories, for sure. those roles, sure. and and I love that we're we're getting closer and closer each and every day to. Yeah. To, to fighting that and to, you know, getting the people out there that, uh, that that live this each and every day. But getting to the core and and watching out for, like, you know, here's explicitly how ableism has been around forever in these ways mm. uh, and in children's stories and fairy tales. I think that that's why this book is so important. Um, and so yeah. not viewed and that's in the what same I way, about so it. tremendous. Yeah, was you know they they put the dates of the fairy tales. This one came out in 1930 right? or 1950 or whenever, and it's been it's just been ingrained into society yeah. and into children for years and years and decades. Absolutely. Well, there are interesting reflections of thoughts, viewpoints, and it, I don't want to say issues, but morals of whatever time. It's really interesting as as some of those even reflect something that may I guess pop culture of of that era whether it's 2 5 years whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So you want to scoot into uh this new trend that's going on out there. Yeah, and years ago when we first started out uh, on the show having the chatty bookshelf, we had the age-old debate of, hey, do you like the full version versus the abridged version? And right. I think we could still argue for years about this. Uh, you're going to get people on both sides, but this one was interesting. Uh, so if you guys know what a Webtoons is, it's capital W-E-B and then the word tunes, T-O-O-N-S. They are scroll comics, but they're an abridged version of this. Uh, they originated in Korea, and now they're actually being moved into audio format. A little bit difficult to find, but they're few and far between. But the the the, the want and the need is out there, and they're they're coming. They're coming for us all. And it's really interesting <laughs> because a lot of a lot of people are moving towards you know, do I read the audiobooks? Do I read the full length comics? Or do I read the or listen to the the webtoons? And you'd be surprised in the split. I think. You really would because it's more of a 50-50 now moving with Webtoons kind of 
poking its head to pass that 50% mark because people are loving uh, the, the shorter versions. And here's why. There's a number of reasons, but it's our younger tech-savvy crew oh, that of course. loves oh, the web. Apparently I that passed that era. Webtoons, right? Well, it's interesting because the study, the, the article said the, the categories, oh, the, the older folks, they said the middle-aged to older folks. Okay. And they they used 25 as the yeah, Of course they would. What? Of course. I was, right? I, I was, I was just like, going to say, I feel like I'm five years past the point at which Webtoons is, you know, my default which makes perfect and they said sense. They like that. They like the full version because they're not as tech savvy. Now think about this. A 25 year old was born in 1999, give or take. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you, how are you not tech savvy? No, oh, you might like be tech savvy, but not for this level of like, you know what? I'm just going to have to go get the abridged version. I don't want to uh, spend my time or effort or efficiency and energy in this when I could just be listening to whatever this is. So, Explain what it is again. Webtoons. So they're they're shortened yep. they're shortened scroll versions of comic books. So traditionally, they said that they're about twenty to twenty five percent shorter. So they're looking at if it's um, oh. a ten pager, you're gonna get two and a half pages Seven less, pages, right? which yeah, takes out okay. that takes out a lot. I mean, it just mm -hmm. wonders like, are yeah, they you would think the it would version justice. That's my big question. It's like, well, what do you and Ryan, the I gotta ask you the descriptions. Well, and why would you, if we argue about it being a book, why do you want the full version instead of an abridged? It's what you are are missing, like you just said. And I think older people, we get this, ah, I'm going to be missing something. I don't want that Reader's Digest version. The only time we tell people that is somebody who talks too much, Kelly, and you say to them, hey, Kel, just give me the Reader's Digest version of what you're trying to tell me. But this feels like a little more than Reader's Digest. This feels like a slimmer version Oh, no, no. What I'm saying is the reason. I'm talking about the reason Ryan Woods or Kelly might yeah. want the, yeah, because sure. I totally see the younger because look what you say all the time, Rum, about TikTok. Yes. People exactly. just don't have that time. It's just more We're looking at the headlines the on X. Yeah. Here, think about it this way. So we all, you know, we, we've we read The Martian. I'm going to use that as my primary example, as I have of for course. years. Of course. Martian that's and Harry Potter, the yep, most popular yep, on yep. this show. 12, 13 hour audiobook. You fit that into a one hour movie. And how much did you have to take out? Yeah, and but that's brutal. I, and that's, that's substantial. But I look at it, I'm like, to the younger crowd out there that love these abridged versions, what are you missing? What do you? What, what, what did you miss out on for the 25%? I, well, I don't know, so I don't care. And that's what the answer is. That's exactly what the answer is. So I, I'm just saying, oh, I can't, I can't do the abridged version. I will, I don't, I'll, I'll certainly try it, but I always have that FOMO. What am I missing out on? What did I just miss on a character development or on a scene description? Because it's so important for, and I'm not just saying for the the, the our you know the audience members who are visually impaired. I'm I'm saying this for because you you can't you don't have a screen in front of you when you're reading an audiobook. It's it's all about the description within your ears. So what, what if you don't have it described, then you miss it, and that's what. But it I becomes a different version. It's sort of like a TV series when they make a, a you know a TV series out of out of a book or out of um, a book series, and you you really get asked, well, do we need character X? Well, not really. Maybe you need character younger J people just don't have FOMO. Like the the adjustment of twenty five percent of a book being taken out, right? Especially a comic book, and you to say, "Oh my gosh, that's a huge amount," versus. Eh, okay, well, 25% is not as wild as, you know, a, a, a short, short, like a one-hour movie or a synopsis of the book, if you will, right? It's 25%. Yeah. 
maybe you don't know what you're missing can actually be skewed in a good way, right? Like, it's yep. not enough to know exactly to make that much of an impact then. It's, it makes you say, does it really matter? And that's what I mean about the characters. If you don't really, if character X and character J are there for f filler, they're neat characters, they're fun. But yeah. if you don't know, or you don't really care or need them, what's yeah. what's that 25%? But sure, Ryan, you said like description, so many other things might be missing that you enjoy. Um, but there are people who will say, yeah, but I want to be able to go on to another book even quicker or the next magazine. So I, I don't need all this. And if you don't know it, it doesn't exist to you. No, and it's so true. I, and I, that's what I just, I, I can't miss out on those things. Like I look at that 25% and I wonder because the, sati the statistic wasn't there. How many panels yeah. in a comic is that? Really, how many, like, is it like two and a half pages? What is that? Nine, 18 something panels. Mm -hmm. So who, how, mm -hmm. I, that's a lot. It wouldn't, and you're looking in terms of a comic mm -hmm. book, right? Well, so potentially. Comics, but... Like how many, yeah, how many are you really missing? And what are, what did they take out? And that's know, one that's way to look at it. Illustration for the sighted folks out there too. It's just I, I understand. Like, but if you like something, people love. You can't get enough of it, right? Like you guys, mm -hmm. like you with I the Martian. Don't know, guys. The Martian could have been uh, like I. I understand what you're going to say there, Rum, because I say it with plays all the time. This darn thing could have been a half hour shorter. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's as if you let the editor continue going, saying, you know, I need this to be 200 pages and not three, and right. and they just kept editing. For, to, to, to slash out anything that really could be taken out. Uh, obviously, there's, you know, still nice-to-haves, but maybe the nice-to-haves are what could also be removed for this abridged version. I just can't believe, seriously, guys, zooming out completely, I just can't believe that this is a thing. That, like, we can have such in-depth conversations about this because this is now so big that people are, you know, webtoons, which is what we're actually talking about, is yes. so big amongst such a uh, huge population of people that we got to discuss this and say, hey, are you on this side or this side of the debate? That's wild you to know, me. You, you know what used to be the case for me, Ryan, was if I, when audiobooks weren't what they are now, and you got a book and you knew it was the condensed version of said book as a blind person because they said, well, this is what's been released in audio. That's all there is. There ain't no more. You felt robbed. And I think for the older it's people true, yeah. who have been through that, they really take it personal and say, well, well, what do you mean? Why do I need this? I want the full version. What am I? It becomes almost an insult, a slap in the yeah. face. And now it's like Whether you get the full version, you get the audio version, the ebook yeah. version, and you get the abridged version, and then this Webtoons version, or you could just go and speed up the audio version. Like, there's so well, many well, ways well, we can speed consume up the things now. Or yeah, you and get on TikTok I, and get I a love review the people of it. That, oh, I want more of this. I want more of this book. You know, they, it's the shortened yep. version. But couldn't there be more? And it's like, well, maybe there was. And people yeah. do that with the long versions. Yeah. Like Rum could use another thirty Harry Potter books. Of course. Well, no, no, it's okay. all wrapped 24. up. No, it's 28. all wrapped up. Twenty-eight. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's wrapped all up. Right. <laughs> we can't. We can't keep going with that. Uh, awesome, Ryan. What a discussion. No, thanks, guys. And next week, join us because we'll have author Kelly mm. M. Parker joining us nice. to chat her her new thriller, yeah, thriller, uh, Thin Air. And I just want to give a quick shout out to all my uh, my family and friends listening up on uh, Kesey up there, Miigwech. Okay. All right, looking forward to that discussion as well. Thank you. Take good care, guys. You too. Thank you, Ryan. Who are we joining Bye. us on the Chatty Bookshelf? That's when we talk audiobooks to wrap up the week here on Kelly and Ramia.
Boy, a great cut for time for you today as we revisit and weigh in on conversations from the past week. We'll do that in two minutes right here on Kelly and Ramya. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Welcome back to the program, folks. It's that time. We call it cut for time. And please, any of the things that we talk about during uh, this segment, we'd appreciate if you went back, subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to the show in segment form. You can listen to the show in its full version. If you have that time or just want some, us to keep you company and ride along with us, do that, folks. Well, we welcome also back for this conversation, Grant Hardy, our reporter out in Vancouver, who is with us. Rumi and I return with you. And we, every week, reflect on the conversations that we've taken part in, part in for the past week on the program. We call this Cut for Time in case there's a little bit more we want to add to the conversation that maybe wasn't the most appropriate time. And guys, I'm, I'm going to start here. And I think definitely this is something to, to weigh in amongst ourselves. We had a fantastic guest. Uh, on Tuesday, Dave Sanderson, a passenger of U.S. Fifth, Flight 1549, joined us to talk about a very fatal day and uh, the experience that he went through. Uh, he's talking here about the options the captain had when uh, the aircraft was going down into the Hudson. You look at, he had basically four options, four choices. He could have gone back, tried to get back to the airport, which wasn't a good option, as in the movie, mm. really realized that he had a very difficult time getting there. He could have gone into the Atlantic Ocean, which was right there, but there's no one there to rescue him. He could have gone into the airport in Teterboro, which is the closest airport, but there's too many skyscrapers there to even try that. So his only only option or only choice was the river. And he uh, he made that call once he sort of went through his mind very quickly and had to deduce that. Dave, wonderful guest. We appreciated his time coming on to speak to us. Very engaging because he kept me listening. Now, again, I find stuff like this very interesting. But when we were going through these particular choices, um, and, you know, you think, okay, go over the bridge. When is this captain deciding what to do? And when, you know, he seemed to have a plan, all these things, boom, boom, boom. And you think about training to do a particular job. You think about how much time do they spend going over scenarios. I'm not suggesting, all right, if you have trouble in New York City, engine blows here and engine blows. But I, I don't necessarily mean that. I mean overall problems, overall location work that you do to say, okay, there's buildings. Doesn't matter if it's New York, doesn't matter if it's Hong Kong. What matters is what you do with said jet to, 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 to bring about the, the least collateral damage. Um, Dave gave us that in that conversation, uh, to things to think about, things to understand. This is what this captain had to decide. Um, and you think about when you make a decision like this, you're aware of injury and, and fatality and have to get to a comfort zone as much as one can with your decision, with your choice made just like that. Um, I felt that through the conversation with Dave, that stress, that, that reality that someone have. It's, it's one thing to sit there and think, especially when you're watching a movie, oh, I wonder if he could have done that. But when you think about the buildings and what he said about the airport, that's too surrounded by buildings and too much of a challenge. And those of us who've never steered a, a commercial jet in strife, 
you know, why it's bouncing all over because of being low enough, too low to the ground and being affected by wind buildings and the current crisis. It really was something for me to listen to him talk, to imagine myself in that situation, and mainly for the pilot. Obviously, your heart goes out to, um, you know, the, the passengers and family and, and stuff like, like that. That goes without saying. But really, the, the picture he painted of decision and what one does, well, I really appreciated that the other day. I, I really did, and really thank Dave for, for taking that time and putting it so in perspective for us, and you know, we really didn't even hear about what he went through in the sense of helping people and that kind of thing. Dave really wanted us to understand. That's what I needed. I mean, you, you, I remember it on the news. Remember the day it happened. Um, but that's as far as you get. We, we think, oh well, there's a lot of plane crashes. There's a lot of this. There's a lot of that. And it's very easy for it to slip out of our minds. But he brought it home to us the other the other day, and I felt Grant, what a tremendous conversation with him. Really, absolutely un unbelievable and tremendous. And this is something I've always wondered about my myself. Like if I was ever in a life or death crisis, which I've never been, touch wood, um, how would I react? What would I do? And it's one of those things where there's literally like no good move that you can play on that sort of chessboard of life it's like mm. all of these moves are terrible options who knows you know maybe like the move that i decide not to play would actually be a fluke and be the better move and but you just don't know and there's no way to go back and do it again so all you have to do is kind of go with your gut and go with your intuition and in this case it worked out for them but there was a lot more than luck obviously there's extensive training and really incredible decision making uh and you know frankly some some heroics in terms of helping to make sure all the passengers you know got got off that plane as as best as possible and uh it's one of those things where you know i wouldn't want to say this is a dis decision or, or or victim blame you know anybody but after something like this your your life kind of changes forever and he really used this opportunity to empower himself, uh, Romia, and uh, decide to help motivate others as a result. Right, right. I, I often think, too, like, it's not necessarily about um, character or personality or who you think you are in the more, you know, average situations of life. But something like this goes on in the midst of chaos, what it really takes, especially if you don't have the training. You mentioned, Grant, that if you have the training, if you've been through these scenarios as part of the training to kind of like build that mental toughness, build that, you know, grounded uh, way of dealing and decision making and pushing through with whatever decision you did make, that's one thing. But if you don't have any of that and have to go through this, do you consciously decide how to process through this as it's happening? Or do you just kind of go with what you are and who you are and then later on reflect and say, wow, that was tough for me, or I can't believe I made it through on, you know, adrenaline or whatever it is. And and that reflection process is so key, I think, to um, how you go about your your days, your weeks, your experience coming out of this as well. Uh, and, and that, as you guys said, as he uses it to kind of motivate other people and, and talk through it and explain how these things went down for him, um, 
not all of us necessarily can, or at least not in the time frames uh, of everybody else. I'm going to move to Wednesday's show and talk about a, a different kind of tone of something. On our entertainment report with Corinne Van Dusen, she spoke about the We Are the World track uh, and the documentary made around that on Netflix. Here she is explaining a little more. Mm -hmm. We Are the World came out in 1985. It's the charity single for uh, African Famine Relief. And it was um, it was Bob Geldof who did uh, Live Aid from Britain. Uh, I don't you know, that's a huge single. They they did uh, Do you, Do They Know It's Christmas for Relief in Africa. Mm -hmm. Harry yeah. Belafonte, who's American, um, is was a, a huge um activist and stuff and brought and said you know what we we need to help famine in ethiopia as well what can we do the best we can sing let's get the greatest people in pop from the 1980s together to to do something good mm. i think like the heartstrings part of this element of this conversation or this kind of initiative is what I lean into when I want to reflect on it on Cut for Time because, you know, we often have so many conversations where we're mad and infuriated and frustrated because of people with the money, the people with the power, the people who can make the most impact in the least amount of time or supposedly with the least amount of effort um, to, like, move the needle forward on any kind of thing anywhere around the world, uh, don't do it or don't do it often enough or don't do it with the rigor that they should be and that they ought to be doing it. And, and here we are, the average person thinking like somebody's got to do something on a big scale and why won't they? But when we talk about art and whenever we bring art into the conversation, we know that it becomes more um, digestible. We know that the issues and the challenges that are being, you know, discussed, like with the, the famine and what this song was made for, uh, the, those conversations become more, um, I don't know, like community or uh, more empathetic, more compassionate. And then the approach of being able to bring people together through art, bring people together and say, okay, we are doing something about this. Let's all uh, come together and you know whatever whether or not it's about money um, necessarily it's also about just the people with the power doing something but in a more in a beautiful way I think um, and I guess like we have seen examples we've talked about it with Corinne as well we've heard of examples where celebrities and influencers will come together in one way or another and the, the people who put these kinds of things together for cause and I think that Honestly, no matter how many ways we do it, no matter how many ways we deal with initiatives and with raising money and with coming together to help out communities, people who've been affected by natural disasters, as an example, uh, I think that doing it through music, doing it through art is always the most, like, everyday way. Most, you know, most people can get on board when we do it through art. And I think that that's very significant and we've seen it through history uh, a lot, Kels. Speeding. This thing came together speeding, like at flash, yep. flash rate when yep. it happened. It, these guys got together, said, how can we help? What can we do? For them, as you said, Ro, it's that thing they have in their hands, their ability, their throats, their whatever magic fingers that they can utilize to create and do something for a really worthwhile cause. Now, when it comes to us, oh, okay, I'll buy it. My money will go to this great cause. But you know what? 
I get to see what these guys are like together. While listening to them, picking those voices out later on, Farmade would, would do the same thing on a different level because so many of us really just like, wow, see them on the same stage. It's kind of... I'm gonna I'm gonna liken it to sports. Sorry, all you folks. It's when you have a, a game, uh, whether it be for your country representation or an all-star game, you wonder what these people playing together is like. What are they going to act like? You wish you could be that fly on the wall. And now with the with the documentary, you're able to kind of be a fly on the wall to hear the conversations, to hear the carryings on, because you just wonder. I wonder what it's like having that much talent in one place. It's almost like it became this thing, and you, as soon as the, you know, that they could all leave the room and leave their talent there and run to the bathroom, run to get something to eat or whatever, or like leaving their instruments. Because in that room, there was so much talent working on this wonderful piece of music that they were all standing for, all agreed with for a common good. And I think that at the time, for so many of us, it really was an amazing thing because you never think of them together. You almost think of them as rivals out there trying to sell their music and not getting them together to work together and their dynamic personalities, Grant, like that all in one room for one cause. It fascinated most of us. Mm, absolutely. Art, I always find it fascinating that art and entertainment and our ability to access art and entertainment is one of the first things that society tends to kind of cut back on, mm. which is really interesting because it's actually one of the most, if not the most avenue for, oh, I don't want to say, you know, controlling, regulating people's emotions and activities, but kind of like promoting social, social change. Sometimes the art is meant to tug at your heartstrings like do they know it's christmas sometimes it's meant to sort of be ironically offensive i know i always think of like a modest proposal by uh jonathan swift where it's a very ironic piece where he actively the character in the piece is actively saying you should harm certain people in order to actually offend the general population and uh promote social change. And I believe people actually at first didn't realize he was being ironic and thought he was being serious. Um, but there's just, you know, some art is meant to get up in, in your face. Some things are about working out your, your anger or your whatever's going on through comedy, music, plays. And I think that's really fascinating, just the amount of power that art has in terms of promoting social change, promoting charity, and that's why I think it's very dangerous uh, that we're entering a world where uh, we're sadly coming back on a lot of the stuff we used to enjoy. Totally different subject now on Monday, but we're going to really talk about Mike uh, Babcock, our tech contributor, who talked about the Apple augmented reality headset, the Apple Vision Pro, and spatial audio. We could really play some music on that. Uh, but he talks about some other interesting uses that that could have. Going back to the spatial uh, awareness of this, and we kind of seen this with the AirPods Pros, um, and that is spatial audio. Um, and to me, that's really interesting. If you put your music application, because you can put things in your environment on your left-hand side, but slightly in front of you, guess what? That music is going to come from your left-hand side slightly in front of mm. you, which is kind of cool. 
Um, another nice thing about this is um, the Apple Vision Pro, playing off of what you guys were talking about in the late segment, um, is also a good way for someone to uh, get their TV or their entertainment into a size and location that best supports them. So a friend, we'll hear his voice here in a couple of minutes, um, went ahead and he has low vision, but he's able to bring an 80-inch TV into his environment, for example, bring that close to him so he can see what's going on on the TV and not have to worry about having the room for that TV actually physically in his environment the audio bandwidth that we have is so much more limited than the visual bandwidth that people have and i think that makes it exceptionally difficult to communicate as much information as we should and i think that the accessibility aspects of this could be great there could be virtual maps virtual tours of buildings there could be 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 my ai d describing the orientation of photos without having to slow down and give you a clock based degrees whatever uh there could be uh you know description coming from certain portions of the video describe uh, depending on where it's happening i think there's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem guys with this being so expensive that blind people are just not going to purchase <laughs> it at first and accessibility apps aren't going to uh, come to it ramia uh, but i think when they do it's it's going to be really extraordinary yeah of course it's going to be extraordinary and of course there's you know i'm so far behind and even imagining what some of these things could feel like could uh, be used as and then as it comes out i'm so like floored you know just absolutely fascinated thinking, my goodness, are you kidding me? And this has been in the works for how long? Um, but yeah, you're right, Grant. There is definitely that issue of funding, though. And how do we get a hold of it? But you know, the early adopters always keep us posted. And right now it's looking real good. And I love when we think about those who are out there with disabilities. And again, for us, screen reader users, yeah, okay, we might be, well, when's, what are we going to do for us? What would it do for us? But there's so many of us with low vision, even in our community, just speaking of our community, a lot more of them that actually would get some uses out of it. So, you know, they're, they're in the arena. They just got to gotta get right down to home plate where we are. Uh, thanks, Grant. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. Cheers. Catch us next Friday for another edition of Cut for Time, folks, right here on Kelly and Rumia. We step aside for a moment. We'll check out what's coming up on AMI-audio and AMI-tv over the weekend. We've got an interesting closing moment. Don't be putting your phone in a bag of rice. I'm telling you, I don't care if it's long grain, one minute, whatever. Don't do it. We'll talk, tell you why after this. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Rumia after this short break. Welcome back to Kelly and Rumya here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv and at 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Let's check out what's coming up this weekend on AMI-tv Adaptable Animals. That is on Saturdays on this week's episode, All Paws on Deck. The clock is ticking as Janice must cast, create, and fit a test brace from scratch. Meanwhile, a fox terrier's mysterious issue continues to be a challenge. And a post-surgical goal Golden Doodle finds out if his healing is on track. Tune in to Adaptable Animals, Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv.
Awesome. Also, on AMI-audio, you can keep up to date on the latest accessible technology with Double Tap. Sundays on AMI-audio, you can join Stephen Scott and Sean Priest as they discuss news, reviews, and technology stories, all pertaining to the blind, partially sighted, or disability community in general. You can listen to Double Tap Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. This is from the Associated Press. If you get your phone wet, folks, dry off the exterior with a towel or clean cloth. Even your shirt sleeve will do, long as it's an absorbent item that you're using. Take out the SIM card if you can and holder. If possible, remove the back housing and wipe them dry. Also, if possible, turn the phone off iPhones can't be disassembled, so Apple recommends tapping it with your against your hand, let's say, with the ports facing down so liquid could flow out. Samson recommends using a cotton bud. Wow, I didn't really think about that. To get moisture out of the uh, earphone jack and charging port. In contrast, Apple says cotton buds should never be inserted into iPhone openings. Uh, if it's not water and it's some other uh, liquid, Samson advises soaking your phone in clean water for a couple of minutes, then oh. rinsing it to get rid of other impurities. Or uh, solidly, it could speed up the corrosion of the circuits inside. Both companies say it's best to leave the phone out in a well-ventilated area to let it dry out. And Google says... Um, Leave the device to dry in room temperature. What you should not do, Rum, don't use a hairdryer or compressed air on your phone. I'll throw out oh. the hairdryer. Uh, so what about using rice to dry out your device? Apple says, that's a no-no. They said this in a uh, publishment, uh, something that was published, an item that was published in early January. So it drew a lot of attention after a while that it was out there. It says it can allow small particles to get into your <laughs> phone. Is there anything besides rice you could use, you say? The best option is silicon gel, Rum, uh, a drying agent that can absorb lots of moisture and put inside a nice, safe pack. When do I know it's dry? It's hard to tell. Wait as long as you can. Rum, get this one. At least wait a few days. Okay. There you go. My mom Ooh. got a grain of rice stuck in her charging port, and then that became a whole different issue. So, yeah, don't do it. Your, your family knows. Mm -hmm. See, you guys live by experience. They Just used to can. say, experience is the best teacher. Um, really cool. I thought that was kind of a neat thing because that's all we hear is rice, rice. Yep. Do it for more than a minute. But a few days to let it actually dry. Who's going to do that? You're going to turn it right back on. And yeah, are you kidding whoosh. me? <laughs> but the advice on leaving it soaked in clean water, well, I never thought I'd hear the oh, see the day. You know, it's because they're sort of splash-proof, and yeah, that's what yeah. they mean. Not water-resistant, but it means just splash-proof. Coming up on our show on uh, Monday, Carol Yapel features an audio tour of Siri Art Gallery's exhibition entitled Untangling, Uncovering, Undoing the Politics of Hair. Catching up with Ryan Delahunty, our podcast coordinator, talking about highlights and uh, recent episodes of AMI podcasts, including one on awkward flirtings and feeling less blind uh, with Jenny Bovard. Have a great weekend, ladies and gentlemen. We're waving at you now. Get out of here, will you? Hosts Kelly McDonald and Ramia Amadan. Reporter Grant Hardy. Senior show producer Jeff Ryman. Visual producer, Megan McGrath. Producer, Marianne Dion jones Graphics, Andrew Antonello. Production assistant, Kingsley Juco. Control room operators, Daniel Penamondo, Eliza Rocco, Parker Oxtoby. Director, Irene Solomon. Manager of live production, Paula Deneen. Manager of operations, Kyle Harper. Manager of AMI-audio, Andy Frank. Director of TV production, 
Kara Nye. Vice President, Content Development and Production, John Melville. President and CEO, David Arrington. Give us your feedback, 1-866-509-4545. Copyright 2023, Accessible Media Inc. When I was a kid, I used to really want to do cartoon voices. I mean, and when I say a kid, when I started doing theater stuff as a teenager, it was something I wanted to try to break into. And I knew somebody through some theater stuff I was doing in Toronto for a summer program that was doing voices on some of the 1980s cartoons on ABC. And I asked questions and said, hey, how do you get in? Oh, I was told how closed of a market it was is, I think, even today, and I haven't done any research on on doing voices, but there used to be a bunch of people that did cartoon voices through the 60s and 70s, such as the the bunch that did them for the Spider-Man cartoon, the Rocket Robin Hood cartoon. And into the 80s, people that were working on shows like My Pet Monster or The Archies, these guys were, were Toronto people, and don't get me wrong, there's, of course, people doing it for other places, other broadcasters and other markets, um, but there seemed to be always this little connection of people who did things uh, based out of Toronto. And I just think that's so cool, and boy, did I ever want to, at that time, get a chance to do voice work, whether it was using my silly voices for a cartoon, or like now, the opportunities I have had doing description, whether it's for our service or outside resources such as Netflix. It's an honor. It's it's really fun to do. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to get into it, you get to have a lot of fun. And it was something that for a while I said, no, no, there's no way of getting into that. Well, never say never. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.